traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. You've reached the Money Talks podcast. All our hosts are busy writing articles at the moment. Please hold and someone will be with you shortly. currently experiencing an unusually high volume of listeners. Please hold, and the podcast will be with you shortly. Are you tired of waiting yet? Maybe you already feel the rage taking over. Or perhaps you're simply wondering how many hours of your life you've wasted like this. Connecting you to one of our service agents now. Well, Money Talks doesn't actually have a customer service helpline. And if we did, we would definitely pick some better music. But if that whole scenario hit a little close to home, you wouldn't be alone because trouble is brewing in the world of customer service. After steadily rising for nearly two decades, customer contentment, as measured by the American Customer Satisfaction Index, began nosediving around five years ago. And customers, for their part, are starting to lose their minds. I don't want to be transferred! Did you not hear me? How can you treat a customer that way? In the latest National Customer Rage Survey, 17% of Americans admitted to being uncivil in their interactions with businesses. Companies love to talk about how customer-centric they are, and business gurus wax lyrical about the value of customer loyalty. So... If it pays to keep your customers happy, why are businesses getting worse at it? You're listening to Money Talks from The Economist, our weekly podcast on the markets, the economy and the world of business. In London, I'm Tom Lee Devlin. In Singapore, I'm Mike Bird. And in today's show, why is customer service so bad? First, we discuss which sectors are the worst offenders. Then, we examine some of the reasons customers feel so poorly treated. If there is weak competition, then clearly the payoff from satisfying customers are not there to the same extent as before. Finally, could the future be even worse? I'll call it full voice takeover, where you're calling up and literally talking to a generative AI assistant. Mike, hello. Hey, Tom. We're speaking about poor customer service today, which is fitting because this is now the third week running that listeners have been deprived of the insights of our missing host, Alice. I will say Alice has actually been in Singapore over the last few days. She hasn't run away to a remote Ryokan in Japan where she was the previous week, never to be seen again. 
She is back next week, or so she says, which means this is our last chance to rinse her while she's not here to defend herself. So I'll be making the most of that this week. So sorry, have you guys been hanging out in Singapore without me then? Yeah, we specifically (laughs) talked about that and how it was great. Did you get any reviews from her time in Japan then? Well, I think, as everyone knows, that it's hard to have a bad time in Japan. I'm sure she'll debrief us on everything. Talking of Japan, there's a bit of an intersection with our topic this week. Japan is a bit of a world leader when it comes to customer service. There's the legendary concept of omotonashi, which says that a waiter or a chef, for example, should consider uh, customers every need. I'm not sure if you've seen the film Jiro Dreams of Sushi, uh, which is a documentary about an octogenarian sushi chef. He'll watch to see whether people are left or right-handed to decide where to seat them and how to present their food. And obviously it's Japan, so you don't tip. So to be honest, if Alice had chosen not to return, I wouldn't personally have blamed her. Well, it seems like they could use a little bit of omotenashi in America where customer satisfaction ratings have been plunging lately, according to the American Customer Satisfaction Index. Actually, here in Britain, they've also been falling as well. I've definitely lowered my expectations for customer service since the pandemic, particularly when I'm back in the UK. When I was last there, I had to show a barman at a pub how to stack glasses on top of each other. (laughs) Well, you may be interested to know that customer satisfaction started deteriorating even before the pandemic, although obviously that whole saga made things even worse with all of the staff shortages and supply chain snarl-ups and so on. It definitely feels like some sectors are worse than others as well. Here in Singapore, customer service is usually okay-ish. I think it's made a bit more fluid by the fairly widespread use of WhatsApp by small and medium-sized businesses. There's a lot of times when you can just text them and ask what's going on with a package, for example, if it's being delivered. That seems to be something that crops up in Asia a lot. And given Singapore's famous efficiency, people have a pretty low tolerance for anything that's unusually burdensome. But obviously things like utilities, wherever you are in the world, it's always a faff to change contracts. And with other sort of oligopolistic sectors like airlines, it's almost always pretty bad. I don't think it's just oligopolistic sectors. I recently made a claim on my health insurance, and it was frankly a hair-pullingly bad process that took weeks of backwards and forwards with the company. So to get to the bottom of why things have gone downhill, I wanted to speak to Klaus Fornell, who designed the American Customer Satisfaction Index, or ACSI, and is a professor emeritus at the University of Michigan. Klaus, thank you so much for joining us on Money Talks. I'm glad to be here. You've been tracking customer satisfaction in America for many years now. Can you describe what you've seen in terms of the trend over time? We began at roughly year 2000, so over 20 years ago. It sort of went up and down a little bit, but generally up. And I think that was because companies realized that in a competitive marketplace, it was a good idea to try to satisfy your customers. I wouldn't say that they succeeded in that, but they got, generally speaking, better and better over time. Then around 2015, 16, thereabouts, it leveled out. ACSI was not declining, but it was not increasing either. And then a year or two later, 
2017, 18, 19, thereabouts, it took a nosedive. And that has continued until very, very recently. The past two quarters, it actually is showing a small uptick. But it is concerning, this downturn. Well, before we get into the reasons why we've seen that dive in the scores, it would be helpful to understand a bit about which sectors tend to do well and, and which ones do not so well. So where do you see that the highest and the lowest customer satisfaction? We see very high customer satisfaction in some of the big companies and high tech. For example, Amazon tends to do very well. So does Apple. Some of the bank actually do. But it seems to vary quite a bit over time. But we have also tracked these companies that do well and do poorly in terms of their stock returns. And I find this just fascinating. For the period 2006 to now, August this year, the market in the United States, the stock market returned a total of 410% or so. The companies in the portfolio with very strong customer satisfaction returned a whopping 1,840, almost 2,000%. So my conclusion from that was that it pays to satisfy your customer, and the companies that succeed in doing that also succeed in all kinds of other areas, certainly in the stock market. Now, with customer satisfaction going down, that has turned upside down as well. The very strong customer satisfaction firms are not performing any better than the market. And I think that's alarming because if it doesn't pay to satisfy your customers, then something is really wrong with how the economy operates. And so what do you think is behind that overall dip that we've seen in customer satisfaction starting sort of five years or so ago? There are several reasons. We all know about COVID, of course, and COVID had an effect on a number of things, such as supply chain issues. But in addition to that, there's a very tight labor market, and that has an effect on customer satisfaction in the sense that there is high employee turnover in the service industries, and the quality sometimes of the service, therefore, is declining. Another reason may be that we have finally reached a market concentration that is not conducive for competition. If there's weak competition, then clearly the payoff from satisfying customers are not there to the same extent as before. Now, there are certain areas where you see the declining customer satisfaction probably the most. One is call centers. It's pretty clear there why that is. And it has to do with service staff of low quality and technology that simply doesn't work. You mentioned earlier that companies like Amazon do very well on customer satisfaction. I wonder whether there was an effect here where some of the big disruptors have raised the bar for customer service, and that has contributed to falling satisfaction with other firms. To what extent do you think that could be part of the explanation here? I think that's a big part. Customers buy from all kinds of companies, and if some of the companies they buy from are very, very good in terms of service, products, and deliver high levels of satisfaction, they will demand the same thing from other companies, and expectations increase, and then some companies fail to meet those expectations. 
And if the market works as it should, those companies will be in trouble. Right now, the economy is very, very difficult to figure out. But in the long term, this should be like that. Fascinating. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Mike, one thing I found interesting in that discussion is this idea of the link between rising corporate concentration and deteriorating customer service. And on one level, that's intuitive. You know, if markets consolidate, as they have in industries from airlines to banking to telecoms in America, then there's less pressure for firms to invest in delivering great customer service because there are less rivals to nab customers away. But the timing seems a little off to me, given that a lot of the market consolidation in America happened through the 1990s and 2000s, when actually customer satisfaction was improving from what Klaus said. And maybe there's a massive lag in the effect, but to me, the fact that this dip in satisfaction only occurred in the past five years or so hints maybe more at other explanations. Yeah, I agree completely with that. I have to say, I find the corporate concentration argument a bit difficult to pass especially because you always hit the standard issue of you can't work backwards from saying a sector has become more concentrated to say there's a competition issue. But maybe that's a subject for another episode. What I found interesting there and what seems to fit in terms of the timeline to me is this discussion of whether it's a consequence of a hot labor market, which seems axiomatically true. When unemployment is 10%, I guarantee you the barman can stack the glasses on top of each other. But that doesn't mean unemployment at 10% is a good thing. So if you're getting some really rubbish customer service, you should at least be able to bask in the warm glow of the the knowledge that your short-term misery is a reflection of a relatively high employment rate. What a nice way to put a positive spin on a horrible experience. (laughs) Before we hear what's coming up, a reminder that this is one of the last episodes of Money Talks before we bring in Economist Podcasts Plus, after which you'll need a subscription to listen to us. If you already subscribe to The Economist in print or digitally, thank you, and you don't need to do anything except look forward to a new exciting listening experience. But if you're not yet a subscriber, you can get a great deal by signing up to Economist Podcasts Plus now. That will give you access to all our specialist podcasts, including Money Talks, as well as two amazing new shows, Boss Class, which will help you to not be a terrible manager, and a new weekend edition of The Intelligence, which is like nothing you'll have heard from The Economist before. And you can get all of that for just £2, dollars or euros a month. That's half price if you sign up in the next two weeks. To get that special offer, click the link in the show notes, or you can just Google Economist Podcasts. And coming up after the ad break, which, by the way, you won't have to endure once you become a subscriber, we'll hear how to fix customer service. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Before the break, 
we heard how customer service got so bad. To find out if it's going to get any better, I spoke to Darcy Darnell, who is a senior partner at consultancy Bain, where, full disclosure, I used to work as well. She advises companies on how to improve their customer service. Darcy, thank you so much for joining us on Money Talks. Of course. Thank you, Tom. Darcy, we've heard that customer satisfaction is getting worse in America. You work with businesses to improve their customer experience. What do you think is going on here? Well, given how much you hear about how bad it can go at times, it's a reasonable question. Customer service is important because it actually fuels the growth of businesses. And our work over decades studying loyalty has proven that happy customers stay longer, buy more, and often cost less to serve. So I suppose given that logic, it's curious that it doesn't always go as well as what both companies and employees would like. And the pandemic definitely had an impact on that. Uh, It's been quite volatile for both parties. What do you think in particular was problematic during the pandemic? First, for companies, the experience shifted to being even more digital or omni-channel, as we say. And it was hard for both customers and for companies' front lines uh, experience to keep up. Many frontline employees changed jobs, or as some companies experienced extraordinary growth, they had a hard time hiring. That made the frontline less experienced. And lastly, consumers were stressed out. And stressed out people aren't as patient as kind as they are in their best moments. The combination of all those things made for a pretty volatile period for customer experience. I want to spend a few moments on call centers in particular, which I think is something that comes to mind for a lot of people when they think about customer service. I think for many people, one of their biggest frustrations when they reach out to a contact center is not being able to get through to a human. What impact do you think technology has had on customer service? As companies have looked to leverage technology to make simple transactions easier for customers so they aren't waiting for a live agent or getting an inexperienced agent, they haven't always gotten the mix right. What I mean by that is the more complex interactions that require empathy and ingenuity in order to solve the problem, some companies have opted to look to automate those versus the more simple transactions like checking your balance, checking the status of your order, etc. Those actually work quite well with technology-enabled solutions. And I think that's where a lot of the disconnect happens. And obviously there's been a lot of excitement over the past year around ChatGPT and all things generative AI. Do you think that could help to fix some of the horrors of automation or do you think it's just going to make things even worse? Well, there's a lot of promise in it. And before we get to, I'll call it full voice takeover, where you're calling up and literally talking to a generative AI assistant, what's happening in the meantime is that companies are using applications to support knowledge management, support personalization, support supervisor coaching and training in a ways that are going to make the humans on the other end of the line more capable, more confident, and more efficient in delivering on customer experiences. You mentioned before a kind of fully automated future state, but do you think we'll always be in a position where humans still want to be able to talk to another human when they encounter a problem? And do you think that there are potentially risks here for companies that go too far down the path of automating these operations? 
my clients that I work with are always going to have the backstop of speaking to a human. For those who find that the technology solutions aren't working for them, or they're encountering a problem that no application could ever have predicted. So I think even where we will likely have significantly more automation in the customer experience, there'll always be that opportunity to get to a live human. And I suppose the other way that we interact with businesses is through face-to-face interactions. I'd be curious to hear your perspectives on the relative difficulty of improving operations in a call center versus improving customer service in, say, a fast food restaurant or a retail store. And what do you think some of the big levers are that companies can pull to improve those face-to-face customer experiences as well? I think the best industry to look at to answer your question is the grocery industry. And as you know, there's been an effort in the stores to build in either self-checkout or checkout-less experiences. And our data suggests that consumers are still getting used to it. And a human touch at checkout still matters. So I think that's one example where companies have to balance looking for digital applications and efficiency with the human touch. Darcy, thank you so much for joining us on Money Talks. Thank you, Tom. So, Mike, do you think talking AI assistants are the answer to terrible customer service? I'm actually pretty optimistic in this area because of the rapid improvements in text-based AI in the last year or two, probably really the, the last year. If you look at some of the image analysis these tools can do now, you know, I think you can see a fairly near future where a very large portion of customer service stuff is done that way. Frankly, the ones right now, the sort of more basic chatbots are pretty rubbish in my experience. When you're contacting customer service, it's often because something out of the ordinary is happening, something that it is difficult to program a very basic chatbot to do and understand that usually has a pretty short list of things to refer people to. That's exactly when something like that isn't going to cut it. Honestly, I was interested there as far as people wanting the option of speaking to a human. It's sort of funny. It's a bit of a terrible food and such small portions problem, isn't it? These people think customer service is increasingly becoming rubbish and they're desperate to hang on to the option of speaking to a real person. I'd actually be sort of keen to see at least some companies go full or or practically full AI if it makes things cheaper to me. And also to see a bit of variety between different customer service models. Yeah, so for one, you can hook me up to the customer service Skynet. I'm happy with that. I think a big question in my mind is whether generative AI chatbots will make things up or hallucinate, as they euphemistically call it, in the same way that ChatGPT and its rival products do. I can only imagine the type of chaos that would ensue if these things started handing out refunds willy-nilly or telling customers their services were being cancelled for some reason or another. Now, I have been told that they're actually quite reliable once you fine-tune them on call center transcripts and other internal documents. But I suspect there's probably a lot of companies out there that would be happy with a consistently underwhelming customer service more than one that they frankly can't quite control. So for now, my guess is that companies will probably use these types of tools more as a kind of assistant for call center agents than as a replacement. I'm sure someone will give the fully automated version a go soon enough, though, and I guess we'll see what happens. 
Yeah, the hallucinating and making mistakes thing is really interesting, isn't it? Because it reminds me of the debate around self-driving cars when people say, oh, but the self-driving AI can't drive perfectly. And it's like, the alternative to that is a human driver and you know they can't drive perfectly, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it's a mixed bag. Well, with that, I think it is time for us to turn to our stats of the week. Mike, you want to kick us off? Yes, absolutely. My stat of the week is 84%, which is the level of international tourist arrivals globally between January and July this year, relative to the same levels in 2019. And that's from the UN World Tourism Organization. That was actually higher than I thought it would be. It's climbed through the year as well. And you do now have some parts of the world, the Middle East, for example, that are fully recovered entirely back to 2019 levels. It's actually my part of the world, the Asia Pacific, that's the real laggard globally, only 61%. It'll be interesting to see how much that catches up. Yeah, the recovery in travel has really been quite striking. And I think it's actually one of the reasons why a lot of airlines are really struggling at the moment with customer service and also, frankly, just basic operations. You know, all these airlines laid off huge portions of their staff and really cut back on investment during the pandemic. And I think demand has kind of recovered faster than supply, which has put huge amounts of strain on a lot of these companies as they're trying to kind of ramp back up their operations. Tell you what, that's something you can get an AI in for. Flying the plane. It's on autopilot most of the time anyway. You just need to get the landing right, and I think we're basically there. I think people have a pretty low tolerance for failure with their pilots, though. (laughs) Anyway, my stat of the week is 150,000, and that is the number of audiobooks that Spotify listeners will be able to access as part of the company's new audiobook offering, which has just launched here in Britain and will be launching in a few months in America. And it's actually quite a lot, given there's around 200,000 audiobooks on Amazon's Audible, which is the clear market leader in the space. Spotify is in the midst of this kind of multi-audio strategy now, which spans music and, and podcasts and books as well. I suppose I can see the thinking here. You know, you have the product already, the interface already, and, and the customers, and you're basically just pushing through another set of audio And if you already pay for Spotify, you'll get to listen to a few hours of these, but then you'll have to pay for the extra on top. I suppose the big question, though, is whether this is actually going to help them become profitable. You know, the company still can't seem to actually generate any money for its investors. Yeah, we can't be too negative about Spotify because they also work in our London HQ building and Tom doesn't want to bump into them in the lift, having (laughs) upset them. Exactly. And with that, I want to thank Klaus Fornell and Darcy Darnell. And thank you for listening to Money Talks. Don't forget to subscribe to Economist Podcast Plus. There's more info in the show notes with a link to sign up for that special offer. And you can always write to us at podcasts at economist.com. Today's show was produced by Dan Asher and Marie Keyworth. Our sound engineer is Ting Lee Lim. And the executive producer is Marguerite Howell. I'm Tom Lee Devlin. I'm Mike Bird. And this is The Economist. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. 
How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.